Life Stories, an audio drama by Tavonians Theatre Company, drawing on recorded memories of elderly residents of Tavistock in Devon, as told to volunteers of the Life Stories Project, which is part of Tavistock Area Support Services. Our fictional characters blend their words and stories. The drama is set in Tavistock in the summer of 2019. It was recorded in the actors' homes during coronavirus lockdown in May 2020. Hey little hen, when, when, when will you lay me an egg for my tea? Hey little hen, when, when, when will you try to supply one for me? Get into your nest, do your little best, get it off your chest, I can do the rest. Hey little hen, Cream first, remember. Oh, I'll try. Mmm, delicious. Does every Devon raffle have a cream tea as a prize? <laughs> Not quite, but we do love our clotty cream. I remember breakfast on my cousin's farm, out Hatherley Way. I was sent to stay with them for a bit during the war. What we used to have when we got up first was bread. Thick slice of bread with cream and then treacle on the top. And that was thunder and lightning. Oh. And a cup of tea. Because Auntie hadn't got the stove going. Not early. Everybody would have that and a cup of tea. And off they'd go and feed the cows. Then nine o'clock they'd come in. And she'd have everything fried, ready for them. When the stove had got going. Everyone did more home cooking in those days, didn't they? I loved helping my mother in the vegetable garden. Of course, we were told to grow vegetables during the war. But she loved gardening and growing flowers, too. We cousins used to catch rabbits with snares in their hedge. The first ones caught went home, but the rest they took to the butchers. That was their pocket money. Auntie used to make a rabbit pie. She'd cook the rabbit with pieces of bacon fat, put it in a dish and cover it with puff pastry. Oh, it was delicious. This scone's delicious too. But are you sure we're on the right table? Are some others coming? Yes, it's Mark Tass. Tavistock Area Support Services. I think the hotel donated five tickets to the raffle. I'm just thankful someone else has organised it. <laughs> Back in the village, Roger and I seem to run everything. We were both on the church council. Really? And on the committee that ran the village hall. We used to help with the youth club when our children got older. Oh, I was very much involved in village life. You still miss it? Yes, but moving back into Tavistock was more practical. You have to let things go, don't you? This must be the task table for music or tea. Yes. Oh, it's Maggie, isn't it? You used to run a veg stall in Tavi Market. You won't remember me and George. I used to farm out at Dunton Way. Yes, I think so. Your wife's Mary. Used to be the WI secretary. How is she? Oh, her memory's going sadly. Uh, Sally, our youngest, is with her this afternoon to give me a break. Well, it's got to the point where the doctors keep asking who the Prime Minister is. Well, that's a daft question just now. I'm sorry to hear that, George. Make yourself comfortable. This is my new neighbour, Stella. She used to live near the Queen, but I'll let her tell that story. Oh, I must nip to the loo. Back in a minute.
You must have seen a lot of changes during your time in farming, George. Oh, yeah, it was all mixed farms where we were. It's generally 140 to 180 acre. Everybody had a few cows for milk and butter, a few hundred hens, sheep, pigs, everything except goats. And there was a time when we used to have 300 hens and you would have an eggman come round with a lorry. And the big boys came in with thousands of eggs and the eggmen stopped collecting. Farms like ours with no passing trade couldn't sell the eggs, so the hens, except for a few, went. Oh, that's sad. And when you think how short we were during the war, at one time I think the egg ration was about one every six weeks per ration book. (laughs) Not if you kept in with the farmers. I think they had to count their hens before the war to see how many eggs they should be providing. Well, Mother must have said that if the hens were free-range and laying all over the fields, it was impossible to count exactly how many eggs they produced. She could always swap a bag of eggs for a favour. I did hear talk. I was too young to understand. About my cousin who worked at a Cadbury's factory. He used to turn up just after his friends had a pig butchered, with boxes of broken biscuits... Money never changed hands, but Mummy said it was amazing how many biscuits seemed to get damaged. One time, some American soldiers stopped at the top of the lane and called up my sister. Has your mama got any fresh eggs? Well, Mother was a bit reluctant, but anyway, she put a dozen eggs in a box and they gave the girls a ten-shilling note. Mother said, I've never sold eggs for ten-shillings. Golly. George has just been telling me about farming. Did you say you milked by hand when you were first married? Yes, we did. We put the milk through a cooler. Then we had to take the churns to the end of the lane. Ambrosia picked it up and took it to the factory. So our milk went into making Ambrosia cream rice. You might have eaten some of it in Windsor. Our cows were hand-milked, but we stopped milk because they stopped picking up churns. They wanted to pick up milk in bulk, but our lane was a mile long with four gates. I can't see a milk lorry coming down there. When I finished, I only had sheep and bullocks. Ah, here's another guest. Maggie, George, Stella. We don't stand on formalities here. No need to be shy. I'm Derek. I'm used to getting along with strangers. I did my national service at 18. That put all sorts together, including a a ballet dancer. A man? Oh, yes. He found wearing boots difficult. He always wore sandals in civvies. I used to help him with his boots. And he had long hair. We were all lined up for regulation haircuts and the barber says to him, I've been waiting for you. Did you do your national service in the army? Yes. We had ten weeks basic training, which was awesome. Sleep deprivation, lousy food and NCOs who were turning out soldiers like a sausage machine. At the end, you were considered to be soldiers of the king and ready to be sent wherever. Did they send you anywhere interested? Malaya. We had a parade and an officer we hadn't seen before turned up. Chaps, he said. Now, that was a signal to keep your head down because something not very pleasant was on offer. Chaps, there's a chance to do some real soldiering. 
We want to send people out to Malaya where they have bandits who are attacking the rubber chappies. You'll go out on patrol, shoot a few bandits and then back to barracks. There are a lot of lovely ladies out there of a very willing disposition. What's more, you get paid an extra few shillings a week. What do you think, chaps? Lots of sunshine, temperature around 80 degrees. It sounds unbelievable now, doesn't it? I'd never been on a boat before, and when we got to the dockside, there was this huge thing, like a block of flats, towering above us. Oh. We set off in November and hit the worst gales in the Bay of Biscay for centuries. What year was that? 1949. Of course, we were on the lower decks in the bowels of the ship. We were mainly from the north of England. Slept in hammocks. Everyone was ill. Too much information, as my son says. Looks like it's time for some music. Kiss me goodnight, Sergeant Major. Tuck me in my little wooden bed. We all love you, Sergeant Major. When we hear you falling, show a leg. Don't forget to wake me in the morning and bring me round a nice hot cup of tea. Kiss me goodnight, Sergeant Major. Sergeant Major, be a mother to me. Uh, sorry, Maggie. You were saying you were born in Tavistock itself. Uh, not out on a farm like George. Yes, we lived in a place off Ford Street. It was originally the workhouse, but someone converted it into eight apartments. We didn't even have flush toilets. Ah, nor did my grandparents. It took some courage in winter to put your warm bum on a freezing wooden outdoor toilet seat and then you scrunched up squares of newspaper for toilet paper. <laughs> my mother was allowed to use the washhouse one day a week. She went in and lit the fire underneath the boiler. It was very poor, really. At the side of the building, we had gardens built, like allotments, if you know what I mean. When they first started building houses at Greenland's council estate, we were allocated a house. Carol, that's my late wife, grew up with a zinc bath hanging on the wall. They'd place it in front of fires so they were nice and warm. It was such hard work to fill an empty, endless trips of saucepans and kettles of heated water that two or even three of them used the same water. Oh. That was in a terraced house in Plymouth. Before the local authorities gave grants for home improvements, bathrooms were an unaffordable luxury to the likes of us. Bit different to you growing up next to our dear Queen, eh, Stella? Maggie, you do exaggerate. We were in Windsor, but not next door to the castle. But in the war, the two princesses did live there, and every weekend the king and queen came to be with them. At weekends, we would see the king and queen driving down the long walk with the children in the back. Oh, really? There was no one else there. There was never a crowd. There could have been two or three of us. If we waved, they waved. I'm surprised you were allowed that close. In those days, there were no fees to enter the castle. It was one of our playgrounds. No one ever objected to our going into the grounds. Of course, the royal quarters were private and guarded, but not strictly so. We would play on the terraces and we would go up the round tower. That's no longer open to the public. There was an up way and a down way. I think there were over 300 steps each way. 
The naughty children used to run up the down way, go all round the battlements and run down the up way. I don't understand why modern parents have to be so restrictive. Because it was such a wonderful freedom. Six and seven year olds were able to play in the brooks, <coughs> climb trees and roam in those wonderful places. We had friends in Orobridge. They used to go down to the weir on the Walkham, where the river was deep enough to swim. We took a picnic and played on the river bank. We lived in a bungalow beside the Thames, so I grew up as a water baby. My parents lived in the same house for over 60 years. My father was with cable and wireless. He commuted to London every day. My mother didn't work. Well, they didn't in those days. My sister went to Boots and Tavistock to work. That was in West Street. There was a nice group of girls. This was in wartime. They never employed married women. You tell youngsters that today and they don't believe it. As soon as she got married, she had to give up that work. I remember now there was a girl in my class whose mother was a senior officer in the information department at a big textile company. This was in the 1940s, which was quite something for those days. I think they had no pair. My Carol went to Plymouth High, where they told you about teaching, nursing and executive civil service. If you didn't want to do that, they didn't want to know. She got fed up, took this exam for tracers in the dockyard. They only wanted two and over a hundred people took the exam, but she got in and she did a three-year apprenticeship. That was in 1947. She was in this huge great office with about 50 men there and about 10 girls right up the end. Oh, bit of competition then. Was that where you two met, Derek? No, I was working for the bank when I came down to Plymouth. We met through the tennis club. She used to say that within 10 days she knew I was the one. Her mother couldn't understand how she could possibly know, but we both knew. We knew that we were going to be together. I'd miss her. Where did you grow up, Derek? Sheffield. Are a Yorkshire man. No, I was born in London, posh part, Pimlico. My parents were, I think, in service. When the depression came, they decided they could cope with one child, but not two. So I was dispatched to live with my maternal grandparents. I was two years old. That must have been a wrench. I saw my mother once. She came up when I was about eight. I never saw my father till he came up with a lorry and cleared everything out of my grandparents' house. By then, I had been sort of adopted by a couple I called uncle and auntie who lived round the corner. Otherwise, I don't know where I'd have been. No social services to sort me out. That was the first time I saw my father, and by then I was 14 and working. They did send an occasional postal order. Family life's not straightforward in any generation. The one thing which dominated my parents' thinking was security. It was a result of the terrible losses of the First World War, then the general strike and the depression of the 30s. Young couples were obsessed with trying to provide security for their families. My uncle carried horrific memories of his army experiences, causing him to suffer some very depressive times and partial deafness throughout the rest of his life. That generation had memories that remained so vivid and raw that they ached. Yet they never could bring themselves to talk about it. Even without that, 
Daily life was tough in the 30s. How my mother managed all the work, I don't know. The coal fire made such a lot of dust and she had no vacuum cleaner to help with the cleaning. There was a lot of floor scrubbing on hands and knees. Same for my granny in Sheffield. Front doorsteps had to be whitened, quarry tiles treated with cardinal red, arranged black leaded and polished. There was very little money. My father-in-law was as tight as a gin. A gin is a kind of trap. It's banned now. Oof, yes. Never had any spare money. But my mother-in-law would sell her geese at Christmas. That would be a bit of money for her to spend. My sister-in-law hated having to pluck the darn things as a child. We'd sometimes have a goose for Christmas. Not every year. My childhood Christmases were very simple. We children decorated the tree on Christmas Eve and made paper chains and cards. Christmas Day, after opening our stockings to find fruit, nuts, chocolate pennies and a pink sugar mouse, we went to church. And after lunch, we exchanged presents and played games. When we played games, there was snap, um, dominoes, snakes and ladders, ludo, tiddlywinks. Hello, looks like we got more company. Oh, t- take a seat here, love. I- I'm George, this is Stella, Derek and Maggie. I'm Betty. I hope I'm not too late. Oh, it's so frustrating not to be able to move freely. You wouldn't believe I used to do acrobatic displays when I was a girl, would you? Was that round here? Torquay, St Mary Church. Do you know it? By the seaside, oh, lovely. Were you born there? No, we moved there from Brixham when I was four, in the middle of the war. My father, he was over 50 by then, worked as a bus cleaner for the Devon General Omnibus Company. Just a very short bicycle ride from our home. I got a bicycle on my 11th birthday. That was a great day. I'd cycled to school, which was about two and a half miles, so I didn't need to go on the bus or the tram. When we were small, trains were very exciting. We used to go shopping in Plymouth on the train from Tavistock. I'd love to see the trains come back, if it's possible. Oh, yes. It would cost a lot of money, I think, but it would be nice. (laughs) You're right. One of my earliest memories is the bridge that we used to go and look over when the Flying Scotsman went through on the line beneath. Oh, how it used to whistle. I like the buses. As Dad was an employee, the company provided his family with four long-distance bus trips a year for free on the company network. It enabled us to travel to Devon's connecting foreign lands. Where's that then? Places like Exeter, Plymouth, Sidmouth, Tinmouth, um, Barnstable and Dartmoor. Only a family day out, but for my parents, a gift straight from heaven. Without them, we would not have been able to go anywhere. Bigbury was our favourite. The sand there. Carol complained that her own mother usually took her to the beach at Wembury, which was covered in pebbles. She'd drive there in a Morris 8, but Carol used to get frightened about the car not making it up the steep hill. Cars, in my childhood, were considered to be only for the likes of the wealthy, the posh people. The streets of Brixham were virtually trafficless compared to now. The house we lived in at Higher Brixham was a fair uphill hiking distance from the town centre, a tedious trek for very young little legs. Brixham's over near Torquay, is it? Yes. 
It was a thriving fishing port in those days. I remember the harbour being chock-a-block with all the trawlers unloading their enormous catch. There was always a strong fishy smell. It permanently hovered around the harbour. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are grey. You'll never know, dear, how much I love you. Please don't take my sunshine away. Oh, that's lonely. Yeah. So my husband came home one day and said, we are going down the fences. They are cutting their hay today and we could do with you as an extra pair of hands. I said, I can't do much. And he said, yes, you can. We have just the job for you. You need to realise that in the old days, hay harvest was, well, if the weather was wet, it could take the whole summer. You would cut a field and then about three days later, cut another one. You had to make wrecks and then you had to bail it. Now, he had to be reasonably dry or else you got mildew. Now, harvest is done in a day. So they set up the hayrick from the bottom layer and showed me how to do it. You build it round the sides, which you must keep straight. Then you push the rest in the middle and you've got to keep it level. They used to pitch the hay up to me while I build it up and I was quite happy there. Then I thought, hang on, how do I get down? Oh, they said, you jump. I said, I can't, it's too high. In the end, they bought a ladder and took me down. I'd only just got married and I was, you know, youngish. So it was fun. I had no problem with heights. I was absolutely fearless. As a child, my dream was to become a trapeze artist when I grew up, even to run away and join a circus. I was so keen to give myself some starter training that I often climbed the broken winding stairs to the top of the bomb church tower at the end of our road and happily swung from the high scaffolding that propped up the tower. <laughs> Sounds like you're what my mother would have called an overconfident daredevil. I did have a taste for the exciting buzz of danger, as long as it was of an active nature. Janet, my sister-in-law, worked in the control centre in Plymouth during the Blitz as a plotting officer. They lived with the knowledge that they could be killed at any moment. She said it was actually quite exciting when you're young. When they arrived at the centre first thing in the morning, they'd have a cup of coffee and look round to see if anybody was missing. She'd have been a few years older than us then. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, she always took a towel with her to the report centre, hoping she could get a bath. Gas and electricity works were damaged in the bombing, so hot water was in short supply. It was serious work, though. She had to chart where aircraft were coming in and the bombs dropped. They used to dread moonlit nights as the river was like a silver road, taking the bombers up to Plymouth. There was a map on the wall and she stuck different coloured pins for bombs, unexploded bombs, incendiary bombs, etc. The incendiaries set something on fire whenever they landed. The bigger bombs were high explosives and they did awful damage. Two of my cousins were killed while attending Sunday school. When that church you played on was bombed, Betty. 
I can remember the Sunday when the war started. Instead of going to Sunday school, we all sat round the radio and listened to Neville Chamberlain say, this country is now at war with Germany. It was terrifying. But my auntie Haverley said they could stand on the top of the field and look to the south to see Plymouth burning. And if they looked to the north, we don't know if it was Cardiff or Swansea was burning. And, she said, quite honestly, if it hadn't been for the lack of sugar, we wouldn't have known there was a war on. In Sheffield, we knew there was a war on. We had an Anderson shelter, but we never used it because it flooded. Two widow ladies and granny used to go into the middle one of the three terraced houses of the yard of Mrs Kidder's and sit out the raids in her cellar. She was the only one who had a radio, and we used to go in there to listen to the nine o'clock news every night. We'd sit in the cellar listening to the bombs whistling down and thinking, is this coming for me? Houses all around us were bombed out, but we were lucky. Were they aiming for the steelworks? Aye, they didn't get them though. The town centre was destroyed. It was very sad indeed. We soldiered on. I was very young when it started. Everyone was going round looking sad and worried. They said to Mum, what's going on? Why is everybody sad? And she said war had been declared. I didn't really know what that meant, but I knew that everybody wasn't happy. I remember my parents were absolutely terrified. My father began to put up primitive blast protection at the windows and my mother moved the furniture. I remember every detail of that morning. It was momentous. We had to put up blackout curtains at home. Mother used to walk with me to the girl guys as there were no street lights. She would take me and fetch me back again in the dark. There was blackout everywhere. Nowadays, children collect cards and so on. But in those days, we collected shrapnel, which you could swap for all sorts of useful things that you couldn't buy in the shops, like pencils and rubbers and sweets. The seriousness of what was going on hadn't really occurred to me at that time. Joe, one of my old school friends, he was given a collection of German badges and insignia from uniforms. He kept them in a small suitcase and showed us when we went round. He was devastated when he found them gone. His gran had thrown them away after his uncle had been shot down and killed in his Lancaster bomber over Germany. It made no sense to us children. I mean, what did Joe's treasures have to do with that? Janet's boyfriend, who was a Wellington bomber navigator, was lost on one of his sorties. But she had great respect for real conscientious objectors if they got involved in the war and just didn't carry arms. It was a terrible time. Britain had a policy to completely destroy German cities. I remember being woken up once by my father, who wrapped me up and took me out into the garden on the night the East London docks were hit by German bombers. I can still remember the whole sky was just red with flames and crisscrossed higher by searchlights. Black shadows of bombers and fighters silhouetted against the red. No wonder they sent the kids down to Devon as evacuees. Did you have some with you? No, but Dot, my good friend from hospital days, was one. 
She was sent down from Peckham when war broke out and had really vivid memories of it. She was only four and she and her sister, who was ten, were put on a train at Waterloo. There were lots of children, all with a name tag and a little bag. They landed up in Biddeford and were put in buses to places where the people had agreed to take in evacuees. They were sent to a lovely little house right at the top of Clovelly, 115 steps up with an elderly couple. They only had oil lamps in the evening and Uncle, as she called him, used to fetch the water in two pails in the morning and then go off to work. Was she happy there? Yes. Dot talked about it as a really happy time where she became a great swimmer, like a dolphin in the water. She used to go to the Clovelly Harbour after school and swim. Their school was just a big room with a pot stove in the middle and a curtain to screen off the older children from the younger ones. They stayed there until after the war had finished. Tough on their mother. Particularly as their brother was a prisoner of war at 19. Dot says her mother never came down all that time. We had some evacuees who used to come to us at Mount Ford. A lady down the road had four or five evacuees from London. I mean, it was only a two up, two down. We had older people who came up and slept at Tavistock at night because the Plymouth raids were so bad. We used to have the sirens go off up here. I mean, you could hear them all the time. My granddad, who lived next door, went out and dug this big pit and put a roof over it as our shelter. If the siren went, we dressed up in thick clothes and rushed out. The actual shelter was just below Tavistock Hospital. A lot of evacuees came to Windsor. They used to say that Hitler did not want to bomb the castle because he wanted to live there. So he only had three stray bombs on our town. Even in Plymouth, Carol said it never occurred to her that we weren't going to win. She saw bombed houses with wallpaper hanging off the walls, but it seemed unsurprising. What got her family through the war was the attitude that it's not nice, but we've got to get on with it. When the war finished, all the roads roundabout had street parties. They put out long trestle tables and tablecloths and an odd assortment of chairs from people's houses. Everybody contributed food. Oh yes! Out came all the stored up tins of salmon and packets of jelly. We drank national concentrated orange juice, which had been issued for babies and young children. A grand spread of delicious food with no restrictions on how much we could eat. My brother-in-law, he was a 15 then, played in a village jazz band up country. V.E. day afternoon, they pulled a piano out onto the pavement. Street was full with them playing out there. <laughs> V.E. evening, they filled the village hall. He's no idea what time they got to bed, but they seemed to have been playing for hour after hour after hour. Daddy came off duty late but thought we must celebrate the occasion so took Mummy and I up to London and hugging everyone else. We made our way up the Mall to Buckingham Palace and were outside when King George VI and Queen Elizabeth came out onto the balcony with the two princesses. Half a million people jammed into the Mall. Even if, like me, you don't like crowds, it is something you can't forget. They were jammed shoulder to shoulder for miles. That was VE Day in May. 
It's VJ Day, I remember. In August, an old friend of Mum's had moved to Sheringham in Norfolk and invited us to stay. The day Japan finished her war, we were told to go to the top of the cliffs at 10 o'clock at night. So we walked there and out at sea, there were ships and lots of rockets being let off and everyone was cheering. Let the people sing, sing like anything, any sort of song they choose. Let the people sing, let the welkin ring, anything to kill the blues. And now you have gone, dear, this letter I pen. My heart travels with you till we meet again. Keep smiling, my darling, and Sunday will spend a lifetime of sweet as that lovely weekend. I met Roger on a blind date. My girlfriend said to me, my new boyfriend has got a friend and we are going to a dance and his friend is coming, so you could come along too. Well, we just clicked. I can't say anything else. He lived at Kelly and he used to cycle in here or come in on the bus. Then he had a little lost in seven. We only had a bus once a week, you see, and this was on a Friday, market day, and that was that. I didn't marry until I was nearly 30. Peter, he proposed on a riverboat to Greenwich. I was living with my parents then and teaching at a primary school in the country. We used to have nature walks there. I did enjoy that job, but gave up after I got married. Our wedding was in the Congregational Church in Tavistock. I was very involved there. I used to help a friend of mine run the Sunday school. They had anniversaries every year. That was quite a thing. It was a lovely church. The spire was beginning to lean, and they thought it would fall. And they couldn't raise enough money to build the spire again, so they had to sell the whole building. When I was in my teens, the thoughts of marriage didn't appeal to me in any way, shape or form. I had watched my mother relentlessly slaving away from morning to night, day in and day out, and I didn't see anything enticing, exciting or rewarding about it. Yet I married twice. Did you say you were a nurse, Betty? Not actually a nurse, but I did work in Wanford House for quite a few years. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's a huge place down in Exeter, mental hospital. They had all the men on one side and all the women on the other. There were six different wards according to the condition of people, a chapel and a big workroom where they learned crafts and things. I loved it down in the refractory ward where they were really mad. I got shut in the padded cells once. This Scotch girl, Rosalie, was full of life and kept asking for things. In the end, the night sister shut her in. Rosalie didn't like being shut in. She had been a dancer, so she kicked the door until the panel fell out. From then on, they put me on night duty to stay all night with her. She had a mattress on the floor and I had to sit on a mattress in the dark. Once she ripped the place to pieces 
pieces and pushed all the stuffing out through the porthole where they look in to see if you are all right. It was quite funny. <laughs> I really got on with Rosalie. I've had all sorts of jobs over the years, all initially enjoyable in their own way. I've always had a passion for learning and any job to me was a personal challenge that had to be mastered. Then I would become restlessly frustrated with a longing to move to the next challenge. One of the early jobs I loved was in the cinema, the Torquay Regal and the Odeon. I remember when there were two cinemas in Tavistock. I went to teach a training college on the edge of Hartford. A beautiful old Georgian house with lovely grounds and a lake. We could walk down to the cinema on Saturday evenings. We used to queue to sit on the front four rows as they were cheap. There were queues a mile long for any really good films, especially of a weekend or wet days. There was a sort of freedom about it. We felt a part of the thrill, excitement and entertainment of it all. Those irresistible male studs and glamorous female stars of the silver screen. There was such a variety. Crime mysteries, war films, romantic love stories. Not forgetting westerns and dancing extravaganzas. And the Frankenstein films with their creepy style of weird entertainment. Yes, unfortunately my marriage was more like those than the romances. My husband wouldn't allow the health visitor into the house when Mark was tiny. But you escaped? In the end. Didn't know about benefits or anything, so I didn't go soon enough. But then I went on this retraining course for computers. Peter didn't like it because I talked about the other people on the course and I was the only woman. He got nastier and nastier, both to me and to Mark. I got a job and just left. I remember driving away from the house in my little car stuffed full with as many things as I could get. Ah, computers, yes. Those were interesting times. Counting machines, punch cards. The great computer revolution when office equipment went from a mechanical calculator to computer printouts. One of my first jobs, I kept the accounts for the Metropolitan Water Board in large ledgers. <laughs> That was after National Service. National Service? I did enjoy that. My chance to travel. Oh, where was that then? You won't believe this. Winnipeg in Canada. I chose the RAF and had 11 months flying training as a navigator. Sheer bliss. That was in 1951. I was lucky. My friend Joe was in the army for 20 months, but he got to be the regimental butcher, so, so he did all right. He was sent across to Germany, to Dusseldorf. He had a story about a young German chap and helped him out, saying to him, Hitler, you know, good, you're, you're... And Joe said, nine, 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 no, 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 good. The boy said, I, I'll find out. And when he came back on Monday, he said, call Joe. He said, I, I, I'm sorry I argued. I, I don't know things were like that. We all thought everything was fine. So we the whitewashed them. Do you remember that in the early 50s, there was a displaced persons camp up at Long Ash? I think there were about a dozen Polish children from there at the school. Ah. I heard 
that the Horrorbridge TV shopman rigged up his TV to project the coronation onto a big screen up at the camp. There was a large aerial on the water tower to receive the signal. It was like watching a cinema screen. Of course, Horrorbridge had dozens of shops back then, including three bakers, I think. Some things in Tavistock have changed a lot, but the shops are terrific. Did you know the pasty shop used to be an armonger's? I remember the wonderful smell in the hardware store. Turpentine, polish and wax. Smells bring back memories, don't they? Like sea air. My twin brother and I used to play for hours, swimming, climbing cliffs to gather seagull eggs, rock pool fishing with a bent pin. We used to go to a little bungalow at Seaton after the war. We would all go down to the beach. But Dad didn't come some days. He'd say, it's not the sea, I don't like the sand. I had enough sand in the desert and never want to see it again. He was there in the army during the war. For me, the smell of ivy brings back memories of a wall at school where we used to play the game where you throw the ball at the wall and then catch it. You know, playing Z, clap, see, round the world and back, see. I remember playing with a hula hoop after school. I had a yellow plain hula hoop. My friend had a blue ridged one. It's good to remember the old days. However frugal life was back in my childhood, people made such a little go a very long way. Life itself was more uncluttered and simplistic and expectations less demanding. Wildlife was much more common. Hedgehogs were everywhere. We always had them in our garden and now they're a rarity. We had water voles in a stream near us and I haven't seen a water vole for decades. Bank voles were common. Thrushes were as common as blackbirds and I haven't seen one in Devon for years. Same's also true of butterflies. Such a shame. Friends are still the same. I've got old friends who I went to school with, but there aren't so many of us now, let's put it that way. You can't help that. Windsor was a lovely starting place, but West Devon is a beautiful finishing place. This is where I hope to be until the end. I'll drink to that. Any chance of more tea? Life Stories, Maggie was played by Marnie Smith, Stella by Jodie Kent, George by Paul Kent, Derek by Stuart Waterworth and Betty by Angela Lord. The singer was Rosemary Turner. The producer was Ali Fife Cook. Logistics by Simon Thompson. Audio editing by Joe Thompson and the script was written by Kit Walkham. Special thanks go to all those who shared their stories as part of this project. A Devonian Theatre Company production 
in cooperation with Tavistock Area Support Services.